No one holds command over me. No man, no god, no prince. What is a claim of age for ones who are immortal? What is a claim of power for ones who defy death? Call your Daniel Hunt. We shall see you I drag along to listen to this show, part of the Goblin Broadcast Network at GBNCom.com. This is the Escapist Cast, the gaming advocacy podcast. Hi there, ho there, Musketeers. This is Bill, your host for this, the first full and proper episode of the Escapist Cast. This episode is going to be called Tips and Tributes. I keep wanting to say Trips and Tributes, but that that's uh, we're not going on any trips. That would be the Gamer Traveler Podcast. That's different. In this episode, I've got a lot of news for you, a lot of appearances of uh, role-playing games in mass media. Um, mostly due, of course, to the passing of Gary Gygax, and um, pretty much all of it very positive, so that's a, that's a good note. Then in the second segment, I'm going to touch upon an element of gaming advocacy that I neglected to mention in episode zero, and we'll talk about that for a bit. So, we'll start on all that right after the break. The Escapist cast will return after this message. On tour with a regular traveler. The Roman Colosseum was begun in 80 BC during the reign of Emperor Vespasian at the height of the empire. It could hold 50,000 spectators, which could be shuffled in or out as efficiently as in modern stadiums. A wooden floor covered a network of tunnels, hiding gladiators and animals before it was their turn to fight to the death in the Grand Arena. On tour with the Game and Traveler. The Roman Colosseum was begun in 80 BC during the reign of Emperor Vespasian, who was an 18th level fighter. It could hold 50,000 spectators, which could be shuffled in or out at a rate of between 15 to 20 per round. A wooden floor covered the dungeon crawl, hiding gladiators and animals before it was their turn to roll for initiative in the Grand Arena. The Gamer Traveler podcast combines gaming and travel all in one. In each episode, we feature a location around the world, learn about its history and travel appeal, and then find ways to use it in your games. We also have sound scene tours and interviews with other gamer travelers. Learn more by visiting thegamertraveler.com where you can see the show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and post in the forums. The Gamer Traveler Podcast, because our world is the best campaign setting. Thegamertraveler.com Gary, you'll be missed. How much will you be missed? Twenty. May your prismatic spray always bypass your target's reflex saving throw. And that, of course, was the great Stephen Colbert of the Colbert Report doing his tribute to Gary at the end of one of his shows. Uh, as I mentioned at the opening of the show, there have been a lot of articles, a lot of coverage on role-playing, D&D uh, specifically. 
of course, because of the passing of Gary Gygax on March 4th. Gary's passing got mentioned on CNN, CNET, NPR. There was a headline on FARC that read, Gary Gygax, creator of Dungeons & Dragons, has failed his saving throw versus death. And of course, that joke got passed around quite a bit. Over on the online edition of Wired Magazine, one of their blog contributors made a Wired logo into sort of a dungeon sketch with all sorts of different elements, goblins and acid pools and, and whatnot, as sort of a tribute to Gary. People Magazine gave Gary a brief obituary in their print edition. There was no real mention on their online edition, however, but I guess with American Idol and Britney Spears and all that sort of thing going on, I, I guess I can kind of understand it. The print edition of Time Magazine gave a brief obituary for Gary, and on Time.com there was not one but four pieces mentioning Gary, uh, two of them by Lev Grossman. Uh, my favorite quote from uh, one of his pieces was, You just can't wrap your head around what a massive influence this one guy's imagination had on the minds of a generation of people who grew up playing Dungeons & Dragons. Lev also did a roundup of Gygax tributes. Uh, there was another article on Time.com, How D&D Changed the Culture. Uh, that one in particular mentions the, the final episode of Freaks and Geeks, which, if I can sidetrack for a bit, if you have not seen that episode, I highly recommend it. Go to your library or your video store, or rental store, or wherever you, you have to go to, to get a copy of that. Because the, the final episode of Freaks and Geeks is fantastic and that it, it has the best portrayal I've ever seen of a bunch of kids playing a role-playing game. It's nothing like what you saw in Mazes and Monsters or anything like that. I mean, they, they get it down perfectly. I mean, this, these are the kinds of games we played and still play to this day. I'll have a link, actually, to a YouTube clip from that show. It's not the full episode, but it's the best parts of them playing D&D. Uh, I recommend you go check it out as soon as you can before somebody takes it down. And I'll also have, of course, links to all of these articles in the show notes as well. Uh, Laughing Squid also published uh, a list of extensive list of Gary tributes, Gary Gygax tributes, uh, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. It's kind of a, a long uh, URL, so look in the show notes for that. There's a great collection there. Newsweek magazine, of course, is infamous for referring to gamers as dateless dweebs. Of course, that was way back in 1997 when they were doing an article on how popular Magic the Gathering had become. But now, over 10 years later, they've published an article called So Long Dungeon Master by Rolf Ebeling. Uh, Rolf has a little bit to say, and then he lets some of his gaming buddies chime in. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Rolf himself was, And hey, coach, you and your fantasy sports team may have stemmed from rotisserie baseball, but your time spent adjusting your roster bears a noticeable resemblance to picking out spiffy chainmail and a nice plus-one sword for a paladin. Just saying. Uh, then he lets three, as I said, he lets three of his gamer colleagues chime in. Uh, and some quotes from that. The cool thing is that D&D allowed us to create worlds in which we could do anything, which forced us to make up our own ethical guidelines. If you suddenly wanted to attack your traveling companions with a broadsword or a finger of death spell, there was nothing stopping you. The amazing thing is how rarely that happened. Unless the neighborhood bully joined in, and almost never did those tanned, skin-kneed fellas venture into our dank lairs, we all helped each other and together defeated whatever dragon or monster we were battling. Yes, I'll say it. Dungeons & Dragons taught me everything I needed to know about teamwork. Uh, there's another great quote. 
The vivid fantasy life was not without controversy. Our dungeon master and another player were the sons of the pastor at our Southern Baptist Church. In fact, we usually played at the preacher's house, sequestered to dark air-conditioned rooms on hot summer days. This was an era when we were told by our Sunday school teacher that playing rock records backwards would reveal hidden messages like praise Satan and smoke marijuana. And D&D, with its sorcerers and magic spells, was looked at with great suspicion. What are all those kids doing all afternoon in that dark room? Just escaping the boredom of small-town America, ma'am, and finding a place where we finally felt like we belonged. A place where a scrawny, unathletic kid like me could be a brave monster slayer who protected his friends and, for once, could be a hero. New York Times posted an article called Geek Love, which has a great flowchart. Look in the show notes for it, because it is very funny if you haven't seen it already. It starts out with exposed to D&D early in life, and then, of course, you've got yes and no, and you follow the, uh, the paths going around, and it leads to all sorts of things. Intense relationship with computers... Uh, taught yourself Pascal, Renaissance fairs. There's even one point where you hit doubting the technical accuracy of this diagram. And of course, if you choose no early on, uh, you end up going to sunlight and girls. Uh, It's good for a chuckle. Here's a great quote from the article. Even in the heyday of Dungeons and Dragons, when his company was selling millions of copies and parents feared that the game was somehow related to Satan worship, Mr. Gygax's creation seemed like a niche product. Kids played it in basements instead of socializing. To be fair, you needed at least three people to play, two adventurers and one dungeon master to guide the game, so Dungeons & Dragons was social, demented and sad, but social. Nevertheless, the game taught the right lessons to the right people. Uh, On a news site called ABS-CBN, this one actually confused me at first when I saw the initial CBN. I, I assumed at first it was the property of Tsunami Prophet Pat Robertson, but it turns out it's a uh, Philippine multimedia conglomerate. Uh, they mentioned a few things that I actually didn't know, uh, and I'll, I'll read a quote from that. Gygax's cult hero status among self-proclaimed geeks is so intense that one fan even named a strain of bacteria after him. But he faced intense criticism in the 1980s when the game became a target for cultural conservatives who blamed it for causing teen suicides, murder, and devil worship. And this is a quote from Gygax. What bothered me is that I was getting death threats, telephone calls, and letters. I was a little nervous. I had a bodyguard for a while. I'm glad that most people have been able to separate the fantasy of the game from the reality of real life. Games have nothing to do with real life. There are no real dragons, there's no real magic, no real magic swords, and certainly no real treasure, or I would have retired at home by now. The uh, National Post uh, posted a letter from Michael Schweitzer entitled, A Message from a Hardcore Dungeons and Dragons veteran. Uh, it's got a quote in it that I really like. The difference between the original D&D setups and the current ones, as well as all the video games and other paraphernalia, is that his vision, I'm sorry, his version, required total imagination. And because of that, each person's adventure was unique, his own. Anything else that supplies visuals or ideas isn't quite at that level. It's another sign of the dumbing down of society, perhaps, that people can't appreciate how high Gygax expected us to strive. And finally, in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, Seth Scheisel called Gary a pioneer of the imagination who transported a fantasy realm of wizards, goblins, and elves onto millions of kitchen tables around the world through the game he helped create. Now, of course, there were a lot of tributes in the gamer sphere. In fact, I, 
I practically challenge you to find a, a gaming site, a role-playing site, uh, anywhere that didn't mention it or put his picture up or change their color, their, their site's color theme to black. Um, just about everywhere. Um, some of the best ones uh, over on, um, well, best ones in my opinion anyway, of course, over on Steve Jackson's uh, Daily Illuminator, if not for Dungeons & Dragons, uh, adventure game would still mean cardboard chits on a hex map, which I love dearly, but would it ever have gotten out of the garage? Over on Facebook, uh, Jared Sorensen started a Gygax tribute group. Uh, on the RPG site at rpgsite.com, uh, one of the users there, Ed Charlton, suggested Gary Khan across the globe. Uh, in his words, I suggest that as a way of honoring Gary Gygax, we have a Gary Khan across the globe this Friday and Saturday night. By we, I mean every gamer possible who plays RPGs. Everywhere. All of us play either Dungeons & Dragons this Friday and Saturday night, or we play the RPG rules system of our choice. But we do a typical D&D type dungeon crawl, either Friday or Saturday night. Everywhere. Every city or town possible. And uh, I participated in this with my two daughters, and I know there were tons of other people that did the same. As far as some of the popular comics, RPG-related comics, Penny Arcade, Order of the Stick, and Full Frontal Nerdity all had comics up within hours. Uh, I know that over on the uh, Knights of the Dinner Table site, they did have a picture of Gary up. I didn't actually see a strip, but I'm sure they've got one in the works. Swords Edge Publishing... Uh, announced that its revenues from March and April will go to the Christian Children's Fund, which was a charity that Gary and his family were quite endeared to and, and, and involved with. I'll have the links in show notes, but I'm gonna, I want to read them here too, just in case you want to go directly to them. Those links are swordsedgepublishing.ca, and the Christian Children's Fund site is at christianchildrensfund.org. There was recently an effort by several role-playing podcasters, including myself, to put together a special tribute podcast to Gary. Uh, I don't have the exact address of that right now, but when I do get it, I will put it in the show notes so you can give that a listen. And I just got word yesterday that MIT students built a giant D20 on their campus in tribute to Gary. And uh, right after I heard that, I found out that a, um, a new... World of Warcraft patch uh, that just came out was dedicated to Gary as well. And believe it or not, I have actually have three stories in the queue that don't have anything to do with Gary's passing. One of them, because it actually came out the day before he died, that was a post on the, the Huffington Post website called The Real Problem with Reverend Hagee. Uh, it was by a gentleman whose name I am going to savage right now. I have no way of knowing how to pronounce this name, so I'm just going to give it a shot. It's uh, Senk Oiger, maybe, I'm not sure, C-E-N-K-U-Y-G-U-R. Maybe he can, Mr. Oiger can email me and let me know how to pronounce his name. But it's a great uh, a great comment. Uh, he's talking about uh, the endorsement of John McCain from a uh, fire and brimstone reverend who is known for his desire to bring Armageddon uh, to earth. And here are the quotes. As I read and watched all of Hagee's ideas about how Gog and Magog and Dumbledore were going to come out of Russia to unite the Muslims, who of course are the worst people on earth and the minions of Satan, I thought he looked like an overgrown kid who was really wrapped up in a great game of Dungeons and Dragons. The only thing that separates this nonsense from D&D or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, which Hagee of course believes is the work of the devil, is that at least those non-fiction works make some degree of sense. 
one thought is connected to another and you have a nice fable that you can follow along. If John Hagee, Pat Robertson, and Glenn Beck sat in the basement playing Armageddon while the kids next to them played Dungeons and Dragons, I wouldn't bat an eyelash. It's a free country. Somebody's got to be stupid. Everyone's got a niche. And of course, here is my favorite quote from the article. By the way, I would like to pause to say that I don't mean to denigrate the honorable D&D players out there. The difference between you guys and the Hagees of the world is that at least you know you're playing a make-believe game in a make-believe world. Plus, you probably have 100 IQ points on them. Uh, there's another fun article that actually came out after Gygax passed, sort of in tribute, but also sort of a standalone article that's called Politics as She is Played with 3D6. Uh, it features uh, the three major presidential candidates, McCain, Obama, and uh, Clinton, done up in AD&D statistics. And that's second edition, too, for you grognards out there if you really want to put them into your second edition game. Finally, I caught an editorial in a paper called The View out of Michigan called Dealing with Bipolar Disorder is a Constant Battle. And this gives you just a little bit of a glimpse of, of the kind of scapegoating that happened back in the 80s, maybe even to the 90s. Uh, the quote goes, You see, when I was very young, I would go through these mood swings, and it was almost like I was taking drugs. My parents thought for sure I was on something because of the way I acted. They tried to blame such games as Dungeons & Dragons or the friends I hung out with. Um, yeah, see, when you, when you blame a game for a real problem, you don't get... A real answer, and I think we're learning that more and more every day. Uh, that just about does it for advocacy news. I'm going to take a little break, and I'll see you on the other side for the second segment. All right, fine, I'll be a dwarf, but my name is Carlos. <laughs> Carlos the dwarf? Yeah, you got a problem with that, Gorthon? Follow the path. The Bears Grove podcast. Adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. And now, back to the show. Before we get into the second segment, I need to make a correction on myself. In the first segment, I said that Newsweek magazine printed an article on the popularity and profitability of Magic the Gathering and called tabletop gamers dateless dweebs. I was doing some research for the show notes. It turns out that that was incorrect. It was actually Time Magazine in 1999, two years later, who called tabletop gamers dateless dweebs when referring to the popularity and the profitability of EverQuest. Now, Newsweek, in their article, uh, had this to say. Garfield's other great feat was to give meaning to the lives of alienated misfits all over the world who, if not for magic, would probably be wasting their lives playing Dungeons & Dragons. So even though I was wrong, either way, the sentiment is the same. Here's something new that makes people a lot of money, and it's much, much better than that silly game you're playing with the dice in your parents' basement. I find it rather telling that today, now that the co-creator of D&D has passed on, both magazines have printed um, very positive tributes and very positive attitudes towards role-playing. While we're on the subject of corrections, that's part of what my second segment has to do about. There was an element of gaming advocacy that I left out in the discussion in episode zero, and that was gaming betterment, gaming improvement, or improving the quality of games for gamers through careful analysis and creative discussion. 
Uh, the reason why I don't really cover that on the website is because it's done so well to such a great extent in so many different places. You can find great discussions about game theory and design on RPG Net, the RPG site, um, The Forge is another great site for discussions about RPG theory, and many others. Uh, some I'm going to cover here in a little bit. But on the subject of making better games, I'd like to tell you about my gaming notebook. I have a notebook. It's a large spiral-bound notebook. It's a three-subject book, the type that has pockets dividing the subjects. And I carry this notebook around with me just about everywhere that I go. In the event that I get an idea, either for the website or this podcast, maybe it's for an idea of a game I want to run for my kids, or an idea for a game that I want to run at a convention, maybe an idea for a new setting, or a new set of rules. Any sort of gaming idea that I get, I write it in this notebook. There is a folder that I keep in the notebook, and in that folder is a series of printouts of things that I go to very frequently when I'm working on some gaming ideas or I want to get some inspiration for a gaming idea. And I like to go through that list to give you some ideas of some of the things that you can find out there to keep handy when you're trying to brainstorm an idea. These, of course, aren't the best things for everyone. They work really well for me. And as always, your mileage may vary. The first thing I have in my idea mining folder is the big list of RPG plots. This is an indispensable document created by S. John Ross on his website. You can find it for free. It's a list of over 30 basic plot ideas that he's collected from various RPG supplements, adventures, and what have you. And it even includes ways to turn those plots around, give them special twists, or turn them completely on their ear. And you can just go through this list to get ideas. You can pick some and, and two or three of them and mix and match and come up with a complete story plot for your next adventure just from this list. And like I said, you can find that on his site, Cumberland Games, for free, both viewable on the web and as a really nifty PDF. I actually have several copies of that floating around. I like to staple them inside of spiral notebooks and just have them there whenever I'm sitting waiting for my for my kids somewhere or or waiting in line or you know whenever I'm waiting for something and just read them over and try to get some ideas from them. Next in my idea mind book is something from my good friend Dr. Rotwang who maintains a blog called I Waste the Buddha with My Crossbow. There's a post that he made to that blog in October of 2006 called The Adventure Funnel. And this is a, a very basic, a very simple method of taking ideas, basic concepts, and jamming them together and making a story out of them. It's a really neat idea, and it's one of those things that's just so simple you're wondering why you didn't think of it. And I actually use that just about every time I'm coming up with a story idea. In fact, I'll be running a lot of games at Origins in uh, Columbus this summer, and every game I'm running, I use the Adventure Funnel just to put it all together. Even if it was just a real simple bash fest, I still use the Adventure Funnel to put the, the game components together. Next are two PDFs put out by Greg Stolze. One is How to Run Role-Playing Games. The other is How to Play Role-Playing Games. Both of these were put out by him very recently on his website. The How to Run Role-Playing Games 
is especially useful because it has a lot of good advice in it. A lot of things that you take for granted and might not think about all the time. The how to play RPGs is not quite as helpful because it's geared more towards people who have never played an RPG before. But it does have a great section on why is this fun? What makes a role-playing game fun? And I do find it helpful to read through that every now and then to remind myself what is it about this that's supposed to entertain people and make sure I'm paying attention to that and make sure that those things are happening when I run my games. The next thing in my book is something that's going to be a little bit difficult to find. Uh, this is an article called The Seven Sentence NPC. This was in Dragon Magazine number 184, which was published back in August of 1992. It's a great three-page article, I think it is, on how to sum up an NPC in just seven sentences and which bits of information are the most crucial about a character that you want to introduce as an NPC. You might be able to find this on eBay either as the print issue or on the Dragon Magazine CD-ROM archive. There was an archive of the first 200 issues of Dragon Magazine released on CD-ROM back, uh, I think it was around 2001, that isn't quite as easy to find as it used to be, but that would probably be your best bet if you're looking for that article. It's really something I wish I could just hand out to people, but unfortunately there are uh, rules against that. And then in my book I usually have some loose pages of a printout from roleplayingtips.com. If you're not familiar with that site, you really need to get familiar with it. It's a fantastic weekly digest of ideas for RPGs. It's going on. Gee, I think they've been going they're around for eight years now. I think they're getting close to it at least. And every week they've got something great that you can uh, really sink your teeth into. Um, right now, the printout I'm looking at is a column called Motivating Yourself as a GM, which has got a lot of great tips in it. But you will always find something there, no matter what the, what the subject is. So that's RoleplayingTips.com. Next is a pair of great articles from Robin Laws. Robin used to put together a column called See Page XX which if you're unfamiliar with that term, there are a lot of games, game supplements out there that will have that occasional typo in them. When they put a game together and they want to refer you to another page in that game book, they won't often know what the page number is, so they'll put C page XX, and they'll, sometimes they'll forget to change that. So the, the mystery page XX, of course, is referring to Robin's column. And Robin had two columns in that series referring to the yes but scenario or the yes but method of of gameplay uh, I, I'm just gonna summarize it here I really think you should seek out the articles because they are great but the general idea is to never say no to a player tell them yes but so if a player wants to know if they can have a pet dragon you can say yes but he's invisible to everyone and can't breathe fire yet you, know, you limit a player's request to something reasonable instead of saying no all the time. It's a great pair of articles. They used to be available for free, but now you can purchase all of the C-Page XX columns compiled into one PDF on RPG Now. I think you can get it for $3.95, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Last but not least, in one of those pockets in my idea book, you will find a series of index cards that have fortune cookie fortunes 
and horoscopes taped to them. This was an idea I got from a game designer's blog. I cannot remember who it was. I want to say it was Bruce Ball. Maybe somebody can write in and let me know. But this was uh, an idea. The idea here was to make an idea deck. Something that you could go to and just pick a random element and just read the, the fortune cookie fortune or, or read the horoscope and get inspiration for a game that you're running you know, off the cuff or a game that you're writing you know, ahead of time. I'm looking right now and the card I just pulled says two small jumps are sometimes better than one big leap. So I can think of a lot of ways right now that I could work that into a story somehow. Uh, that's something I've been working on for a while. In fact, I have hundreds of these cards now. I know people are always giving me their fortune cookie fortunes, and I'm always looking in the horoscopes section of the newspaper for new and interesting horoscopes to add to that deck. It's, it's actually become several decks at this point. So that's another really neat idea there, too, for random inspiration. And that's what's in my game mine idea notebook. Uh, I encourage you to put together one of your own. And once you do, I even more strongly encourage you to write in and let us know about it. Let us know what you put in your idea book that we don't have in ours. And it'd be great to share some tips and some great resources for our RPG game idea book thingies. Before I wrap up the second segment, there's just a couple things I'd like to touch upon. One is I'd like to bring to everyone's attention the poll that I've put up on the page for the Escapist cast. Uh, it pertains to what you would like to see covered in the show, or more specifically, what subjects interest you the most. If I get some good response in that poll, I'll use the information that I get from that to steer the show in the direction that people would really like to see it go, and try to cover the subjects that people are more interested in than others. The second thing is I've just started another project, something I'm hoping I'll get a lot of help with. I haven't really put it publicly on the page yet, but it's called the Kid-Friendly RPG Locator. It is going to be part of the Escapist Wiki project, and it will be a guide, a resource to parents and guardians who are looking for game stores, conventions, uh, clubs, schools, libraries in their area that have role-playing programs for kids. It's going to be a pretty big undertaking. I'd really like to see it take off and be a good resource for people who would like to get together and, and find a place to game with their kids. So if you're interested in such a subject, you have a local store, a club, a convention that does have a special program for kids, be sure to email me, rpgadvocate at gmail.com. Uh, let me know about that. If you would like to do extensive editing of the wiki to put a lot of information in, say you have a lot of this data available to you, or you'd like to help out with keeping everything neat and tidy and, and wikified, you can also email me and I will put you on the editing list for that. Well, that does it for the second segment and for the first episode of the Escapist Cast. Going to take another break and then we'll wrap this thing up. Well, that does it for this episode one of the Escapist Cast for the week of March 30th, 2008. I'd like to give a very special thanks to Gary Gygax for all the games. Thanks, Gary. Uh, be sure to visit The Escapist at www.theescapist.com for all your gaming advocacy needs. 
You go there, you can sign the guest book, stick a pin in my Frapper map, join the Facebook group, and browse the site for ideas on how you can participate. If you have any suggestions, questions, queries, compliments, and criticisms, you should always feel free to email them to me at rpgadvocate at gmail.com. If you appreciate everything that's done here on The Escapist Cast and on theescapist.com, and you'd like to stick a little something in the tip jar, you can find a PayPal link on the Escapist Cast page. All such donations go to expenses from hosting and putting the site together, and of course are greatly appreciated. Music for this show is graciously provided by Nate Trier, who has more talent in his little finger than most of us have in our entire body. You can visit his site and listen to more of his music at triermusic.com. You can also purchase some of his great backing music for your role-playing game. Look for that at Mindscape Music at myspace.com slash Mindscape Music. The Escapist Cast is released through a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives No Commercial Use No Parking on the Dance Floor License 3.0 And that does it for Episode 1 of The Escapist Cast. Keep your dice dry, tip the pizza guy, and take a kid gaming. You can't possibly be any worse than Bill. Hey!